Well, welcome this morning. Thank you for coming uh, to just a little bit of a heavy topic this morning, but I, pre I appreciate so much that you're here. I'm Janet Ray, and uh, I'm just so glad to see a full room today. I'm excited. So I was raised in the very conservative wing of the restoration movement. Uh, church was central to my life, to our family. Our, our family life re revolved around church. And we went to church three times a week, rain or shine, and every night of the week if it happened to be gospel meeting week. And, <laughs> probably the most scarring part of that uh, upbringing was the fact that I never saw the Wizard of Oz until I was an adult. <laughs> because those of you in my age demographic know, in the days before streaming, Wizard of Oz broadcast once a year and always on Sunday, Sunday night. night. Yes, yes. <laughs> in my church and in my family growing up, we would have no more questioned the literal historical nature of the book of Genesis than we would have questioned the existence of Jesus. Uh, for us, young earth special creation was the default position. But then I fell in love with science in school and then later on as a biology major in university and now I teach biology at a university. After I graduated from college, the mental gymnastics needed in order to reject an old earth and to reject the science of evolution just became intellectually dishonest. And I realized it didn't have to be that way, that science and faith were answering different questions. So I started speaking about it, I started writing about it, and just this past year, oh, there we go. Just this past year, I published a book about it, uh, exploring Christian rejection of evolution and all the ways that people attempt to force fit modern science into Genesis. Now, I also write a blog about uh, science and culture and faith. And as I was preparing for the launch of the book, which uh, was in its final phases of editing, uh, conveniently enough, right at the crux of the pandemic, I was also writing a lot about the virus and vaccine development. And in all of the excitement and hubbub of bringing the baby dinosaurs book into the world, I couldn't ignore all this background noise, background noise of all things pandemic, and particularly the, res the response of many Christians during the pandemic. For example, just a year and a half ago, the vaccines for COVID were first released. And at the time of the vaccine release, the, the demographic group least likely to get a COVID vaccine were white evangelicals 
45% of this group said they definitely would not or probably would not take the vaccine. Now compare that to the 90% of atheists that said they definitely would take the vaccine. And here we are a year and a half later and evangelicals still lag behind all other demographic groups in vaccination. But it wasn't just resistance to the vaccine. It was Christian churches demanding to meet in person during the height of the pre-vaccine pandemic. It was evangelical Christians who were vocally anti-mask. It was evangelical voices who were some of the front row and loudest voices in criticism against leading scientists and epidemiologists. Now, of course, absolutely, evangelicals were not the only ones resisting vaccines and masks and social gatherings, but evangelicals were by far the largest demographic group doing so. And it was a puzzle. So, in spring a year ago, when less than 7% of the population of the state of Texas had been vaccinated. The governor of Texas, my home state, lifted the statewide mask mandate. Well, this decision was greeted with a variety of reactions. Some Texans were throwing parties and building bonfires and throwing their mask in the fire. And other Texans were warning that perhaps we should still be concerned about community spread when vaccination rates were still in single digits. So it was in this context that I wrote something about the lifting of the mask, mask mandate. Now, I absolutely was not for endless masking. I was just questioning the timing of lifting the mandate uh, when vaccination rates were still in single digits. Well, as it happens, when you write something publicly, a reader disagreed with my position. And I will spare you the unadorned uh, response, but it went something like this. There she goes again, Janet and her monkey god, science. Well, it obviously was not meant as a compliment to my astute analysis of the situation. <laughs> and it was also obvious that it was referencing the writing that I do about accepting evolution and faith. But the description of my masking position as monkey god science was actually more perplexing than it was upsetting. I mean, after all, I wasn't talking about the science of evolution. I was talking about medicine and vaccines and public health policy. What did the pandemic 
have to do with my acceptance of evolution science? Apples and oranges, it seemed to me, or monkeys and bonobos, you know, pick your comparison there. But the more I thought about it, I realized that what we have here is a classic Venn diagram. That Venn diagram that you, that you did in school with the big circle of people of faith, evangelicals, who deny evolution science, who reject evolution, and another big circle of evangelicals who deny all things COVID. And what we have in the middle is this big overlap of those two circles in the middle, this huge area in the middle of overlap. But why? Why the overlap between two very different areas of science? What do they have in common? And thus began my deep dive into evangelical science denial. And first of all, I want to, I want to clarify that when I talk about science denial, I'm not talking about bad information or incorrect science. Now, I am a science edu educator, and it does concern me deeply when the science for evolution is misrepresented or misconstrued, uh, and I'm deeply troubled by arguments for creationism uh, that torture both science and scripture. But, now I wanted to look at how evangelicals talk about science, how evangelicals talk about Christians, how evangelicals talk about scientists. Oh, sorry, too close. What I found was decades of ridicule, disparagement, and even vilification of science permeating the evangelical world. Back in the 1920s, just a few years after the famous Scopes trial, the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Fort Worth, Texas, called up the local zoo and had a load of monkeys delivered to the pulpit on a Sunday morning. He then proceeded to interview the monkeys to the great amusement of his flock, all in order to ridicule the science of evolution. But that was a hundred years ago. And here we are in the third decade of the, of the 21st century. And just this past March, the leading candidate for United States Senate from the state of Georgia made this statement on the campaign trail. Well, science used to tell us that we came from monkeys. Well, if that's true, why do we still have monkeys? Which is my favorite question of all time. And I was almost on the front row for this one. A few years ago, my family, my extended family and I uh, visited the church where I grew up. And it's, it's a large congregation in the town and uh, the preacher was the, the, the regular pulpit preacher, uh, very popular, and I might add, very young. He was my kid's age. As it would be, almost the entire sermon was about evolution, 
and ridiculing the science behind evolution. The take-home message from the, for the day was this. God will laugh at you when you get to heaven, if you believe that. For decades, evangelical leaders and pastors and teachers have been telling Christians that science can't be trusted. This message is carried by publications and organizations and venues and ministries. Some organization and ministries are large and well-known, but there are many, many other smaller organizations that are also making an impact. Some of these organizations are dedicated to fighting evolution, like the well-known uh, Answers in Genesis and the Institute for Creation Research and the Discovery Institute. Other organizations, uh, like the Gospel Coalition and Focus on the Family, have a broader message, but fighting evolution is done under their larger banner. These organizations have podcasts and YouTube channels and websites and in-person events and conferences and lots and lots and lots of creationist rafting trips through the Grand Canyon. They have podcasts and YouTube channels and websites and conferences and a tremendous amount of anti-science rhetoric comes from popular homeschool and Christian school curriculum. Now, you may have never personally attended an event or watched a documentary or taken a creationist rafting trip, but if you have spent any time swimming in evangelical waters, you have been exposed to anti-science messages, either directly or indirectly. And if not you, your pastor has, or your Sunday school teacher, or your kid's youth pastor, or the youth group volunteer. If you've spent time in the evangelical world, there is far less than six degrees of separation between you and these documentaries and conferences and websites and blogs and on and on and on. So how then do we manage to broadly discredit the vast majority of working and research scientists. If there is a single term consistent across all creationist literature and events, it is the term secular. When it comes to scientists, there are two and only two categories. On the one hand, we have secular scientists. And on the other hand, we have godly, Bible-believing scientist, sometimes called creation scientist. The term secular, when paired with the term science or scientist, is poison. It's a big red flag that says this person is not to be trusted or this information is not to be believed. The messaging that scientists are not to be trusted ranges from the subtle to the flagrant. 
Now, on one end of the scale is the 2017 film, Is Genesis History? It was widely released into theaters. I saw it just in my neighborhood theater. Yeah. This film was produced by Focus on the Family. Uh, this film is beautiful, as you can imagine, coming from Focus on the Family. It's beautiful. It's well done. The interviews are all very good. And all the people interviewed seem really nice. The anti-science message in this film is fairly subtle. Throughout the film, it's like, well, here's what secular science says, but it's wrong. Secular science is wrong about biology, and secular science is wrong about astronomy, and secular science is wrong about geology. But they're all really nice about it, though. The message of the film is clear. The overwhelming majority of working research scientists are simply wrong. Now, to understand the impact of this subtle message, uh, let's put it in another context. How would you respond to a film that said that the overwhelming majority of scientists were wrong about gravitational theory. You gonna jump out of an airplane without a parachute? Or the overwhelming majority of scientists are wrong about germ theory. Evolution theory has the same degree of support among biologists as does gravitation theory and germ theory and atomic theory. But everything is not quite so subtle as this film. J.W. Wartick is a religion blogger, and he recently wrote a post reminiscing about his dinosaur crazy days as a child and how he checked out every dinosaur book from the library and read every one of them. Here's what Wartick had to say. The dates, I was told, were wrong. Whenever I saw millions, I was told to ignore it. I didn't realize how odd it was that the books and scientists seemed to be right about, say, the ecosystem the dinosaurs lived in or their diets, while simultaneously being totally wrong and even untruthful about how long ago they lived. I used the word untruthful because part of what I was taught, whether directly or through creationist literature, was that scientists weren't just wrong about the age of the earth or when dinosaurs lived. They were actively lying about it. In a recent creationist uh, conference, uh, one of the keynote speakers peppered his uh, entire 45-minute uh, presentation with, there's not a shred of scientific evidence for this or they've got nothing. And he added a lot of, of sarcastic, uh, well, they forgot to mention. In 1912, amateur geologist, he's an archeologist, amateur archeologist Charles Dawson found what he claimed to be the definitive missing link between humans and apes near the town of Piltdown in England. 
Well, as you can imagine, uh, the discovery caused quite a stir and garnered a lot of attention for Dawson and for his Piltdown Man. But over the next decades after the discovery of Piltdown Man, things just weren't right. Uh, Piltdown Man just wasn't passing the smell test. And in 1949, more tests were done, more studies were done, and it turns out Piltdown Man was a fraud, a cobbled together, glued together, doctored up hoax. Now, from where we sit today in the 21st century, Piltdown Man is an interesting story and just a blip on the screen in comparison to the wealth of evidence from the fossil record and from genetics, from the wealth of evidence that we have for human evolution. But to this day, Piltdown Man is trotted out and used time and time and time again by creationists as the go-to example of how fossils are made up frauds perpetuated by secular scientists. Ignored is the fact that it was actually secular scientists that exposed the fraud of Piltdown Man more than 70 years ago. There is an unfortunate current of anti-intellectualism uh, that runs through the history of the evangelical movement. Even highly educated evangelical leaders uh, will sometimes disparage too much education as being dangerous to faith. You know, it's like, you know, as opposed to just give me a simple faith or give me that old time religion. The man up here on the left screen, you may recognize him, is, this is John MacArthur. Christianity Today calls MacArthur one of the most influential preachers of our time. Uh, the MacArthur Study Bible has sold one million copies. In a recent interview with MacArthur, in which the context was evangelical Christians who accept evolution science, uh, the topic was specifically this gentleman on the right, Francis Collins. Uh, Francis Collins is a world-renowned geneticist, and until, he, until his recent retirement, he was the longest-serving head of the National Institutes of Health. And you may have seen him on the news a lot over the last couple of years because he shepherded the United States through the COVID pandemic. Collins is also an outspoken evangelical Christian and immensely respected. But here's MacArthur. They, meaning scientists like Collins, they are so enamored with science, they are so elevated in their own minds as to the importance of the role they play. They think that if Christians don't bow to this elite, scholastic, scientific community, we're going to look like fools. And this is from a man who leads a Christian university and a seminary. 
At another Christian conference, a speaker was quoting a famous biologist, Eugenie Scott, and Scott was talking about a, a topic in biology that still uh, we're learning about. We don't know a lot about it at this point. Uh, the quote that the speaker uh, gave from Eugenie Scott was, abiogenesis has a lot of iffy stuff in the middle. But then the speaker added, well, I guess that's the modern college explanation of how life got started without God. Evangelicals have equated evolution science with godlessness and atheism. Here's John MacArthur again, still speaking about evangelical Christians who accept evolution. Their underlying motivation is sinister. They don't like the Bible. Now, MacArthur is old guard, but this guy up here is Eric Hoven, and he's the current fresh face of creationism. On a recent episode of his uh, Creation Today show, he asked his guest, why do people believe in evolution? The answer? People don't want to accept God. And if you don't want to do that, you have to find something else to believe. To which Hoven re replied, don't you just wish they would be honest about it? It seems like there is an agenda. In other words, science has an agenda, and that agenda is atheism. There was an extensive study that uh, just came out not long ago in 2020, and this study was not done by a religious group. It was not done by uh, theologians. It was actually a study published by a group of educational researchers, professors in several large state universities. This study found that among self-identified religious college students, 40% of them believe that evolution requires atheism. Now, that may not surprise you, but this next finding was an eye-opener for me. The study also found that 47% of non-religious students also believe that evolution requires atheism. Evangelicals have done such a good job coupling evolution with atheism that even non-religious people think the same. We've been told it's a fight. Evangelical culture is steeped in a David versus Goliath mindset, and we are always David. It's as if the underdog position is inherently the most noble. One creation ministry makes it clear, we are facing a full-scale religio-cultural war. But nowhere is the war metaphor more apparent than on college campuses. 
Answers in Genesis has produced a book for parents who are getting ready to send their kids off to college. This booklet has the ominous title of Already Compromised. Uh, but chapter two gets directly to the point. Chapter two is titled, Welcome to the War. Popular evangelical film and movies are also getting in on the war theme. Uh, the first movie in the God is Not Dead trilogy features a smug atheist professor who states that his goal for the semester is to destroy the faith of anyone who stands up for God. Well, the smug atheist professor, of course, publicly humiliates the one student in the classroom who rejects evolution. Evangelicals have tied evolution to culture wars. I like this graphic up here. I don't know how much of this you can see, but it's this a man taking the ax of truth after a tree uh, uh, from uh, roots that are growing. And so look, if you can, to see what is growing from the same roots as evolution. Evolution science gives root to old earth and Darwinism and growing from this same tree are abortion and false religions and socialism and communism and Satanism, all from the same tree. You know, I couldn't help but think, and I won't sing. Evolution starts with E and it rhymes with C and it stands for communism. And we've got trouble right here in River City. <sighs> Another ministry that I investigated uh, produces lots of cultural apologetics materials. And for this ministry, the progression is direct. We took prayer out of school and that led to legalized abortion, pornography, and the teaching of evolution. We've also adulterated evolution science with partisan politics. Longtime uh, political activist Phyllis Shafley has been working since the 1970s against political position that she sees opposed to a Christian worldview. Here's Shafley. Liberals see the political value in teaching evolution in schools. It makes teachers and children think they are no more special than animals. And then there's Ann Coulter. Ann Coulter is a New York Times best-selling author. She is a regular contributor on Fox News, and she is, by profession, an outspoken political pundit. Her book was titled Godless, The Church of Liberalism. It was a political book. But in this political book, she spends two chapters on evolution and rejecting evolution, saying it's no more scientific than Scientology. But perhaps the most abundant source of anti-science rhetoric is found in Christian curriculums used in private schools and in home schools. 
Now there are many, many publishers for this market. So I limited uh, my look to three of the most popular, uh, Bob Jones curriculum, a Becca curriculum, and Accelerated Christian Education Curriculum, also known as ACE. And uh, what I found there was honestly unnerving. Now, again, putting aside for the moment bad science, uh, which is rampant through these curriculums, but putting that aside for the moment, let's look at how these popular curriculums for children describe secular scientists. Secular scientists distort the truth. Secular scientists want to prove their point of view despite the facts. Secular scientists make mistakes, they guess, and they have no actual proof. Sec secular scientists are unwilling to admit to evidence that points to a young earth and special creation. Secular scientists are motivated by politics and blinded by their atheistic <coughs> worldview. So that's what got us here, where we are with science denial in a pandemic. In the response of evangelicals to the COVID pandemic, we are reaping the fallout of decades of telling evangelical Christians that science cannot be trusted. During the pandemic, scientists with decades of public health service were called charlatans and liars. Scientists were accused of having a political agenda. New evidence in the pandemic was greeted with jeers of flip-flopping. And even the scientific method that gave us germ theory and modern medicine was regularly lampooned. No matter what evidence was presented regarding the pandemic, evangelicals were leading the dissenters. But there's more. And this part makes me really sad. White evangelicals were the least likely of all demographic groups to consider the health of their community when making a decision about the vaccine. Only 48% in this group said they would consider the health of their community a lot when making a decision about vaccination. The percentages were much higher, almost 70% in other uh, Protestant groups and in Catholics and in non-religious American. Refusal to consider the community was often done in the name of individual rights and freedoms. And very often, we even baptized it in religious freedom. Thank you.
Science denial among evangelicals for the last few decades hasn't threatened public health. It hasn't been life-threatening, but no longer. Using the same arguments against science and scientists that have been used for decades in fighting evolution, evangelical science denial became dangerous in a pandemic. Evangelical science denial became life-threatening in a pandemic. Now, I'm a science educator, and as an educator, I completely own the fact that a great deal of misinformation regarding all things COVID uh, are due to many breakdowns in science communication. But the COVID pandemic revealed a deeply ingrained and carefully cultivated mistrust of science by those in the evangelical world. Christians are called to have the mind of Christ. Amen. Science and faith are not enemies. So the challenge before us then is how do we live as people of faith in a modern scientific world?